Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The scripture reading for today is taken from the gospel according to Mark, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 21st verse. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. And then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why do you make such a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kumi, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement, but he strictly ordered them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. I was away last Sunday 
at the ordination and commissioning services uh, at Lake Jinaluska for um, our candidates, our ordinands, and those being commissioned to ministry. It was great to be there after uh, not having that service last year. Uh, we had a class that had to wait a whole year before they could be ordained and commissioned, and um, it was great to be together uh, up at Lake Junaluska and to participate in that service. Um, this, this feels like a talk less and sing more kind of Sunday. Um, I should have gotten the memo. <laughs> I apologize in advance. <laughs> we could just say, just keep going. Thank, thank you all for that. Um, and for being here to lead worship this morning. As always, thanks to Kevin and Virginia and the excellent work that they do here. A number of years ago, Kim and I, my wife and I, were, um, had the unique privilege of um, being at an event where Mother Teresa was speaking. And um, it was a large venue, a significant crowd. And I remember distinctly the moment that Mother Teresa entered the, the room. She was a tiny little woman just petite, and she had to walk several hundred feet from the entrance to the room up to the stage where she would be speaking, and so she kind of had to, to part the crowd and walk through the crowd. I remember how people were pressing in on her all around trying to, to get, she got just sort of absorbed by the crowd, trying to be close to her, to, to touch her, maybe even hoping that some of her goodness and faithfulness might rub off on them. We all knew we were in the presence of someone holy, someone who had drawn so very near to God that, that they seemed to almost bring the presence of God into the room with them. It was as if in, in her presence, heaven had drawn near to the earth, and folks wanted to be close to that. It was a holy moment, and I'll never forget it. You know, I think it must have been something like that with Jesus as, as well. The, Mark tell us they'd, tells us they'd made their way to the other side of the sea, crossed over again, got out of the boat up on shore, Jesus and his disciples, uh, going village to village. And as they did, they were greeted first by Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, whose daughter was not well. Crowds pressing in on him on every side, Jesus almost being absorbed into the crowd, being lost in the crowd, sensing that in his presence somehow heaven had come on earth, God was close. People want to be near that sort of thing. There's this woman in the crowd. She's been suffering with hemorrhaging for a number of years, tried everything she can to get better, only now she seems to be worse her condition affects not only her health, but it, it also uh, impacts her, her position in the community because blood is considered unclean, and so likely she's suffering not only physically, but socially, mentally, emotionally isolated in her suffering, not invited to be part of the community. Because you wouldn't want to risk being seen with her, near her, God forbid, touch her and become unclean yourself. She sees Jesus in the crowd. All the religion in the world hasn't done much for her, but somehow she senses in him there's something different, something powerful, hopeful, that somehow God maybe has finally come close even to the likes of her, who's been told by the religious folks, God doesn't draw near people like you because you're unclean. 
And so maybe she's thinking, you know, if, if perhaps if I can, could get close to him, if I could touch him, my isolation, my illness, my loneliness will be healed, overcome. And she does. She pushes her way through the crowd, somehow gets close enough to Jesus, reaches out, we're told, and touches the hem of his robe. And she's made well. Jesus commends her for her faith, and her life begins again. Someone has said that, that church is, is simply, if you, if you want a definition of church, that church is simply Jesus and his friends. I like that image. It's simple, concise, uncomplicated, yet powerful and potentially life-changing. Jesus and his friends, that's the church. Jesus and you and me. And yet, in our well-intentioned attempts to, to build the church, to create or shape the church, we often layer on top of that understanding, Jesus and his friends, we layer on top of that our policies and procedures and structures programs, requirements, in a way that often distorts that very powerful, simple image. If you take a look at our own book of discipline that guides the life of Methodism, the first, probably less than a third of it, that's the good stuff. That's where you get the doctrine and the theology and what we believe about ministry and church and serving the world. And then, over the course of a couple hundred years, well, and at least since 1968, when we became the United Methodist Church, we've layered on another two-thirds or so more of all the other stuff. Vote on this, don't vote on that. Here's what you do with property, here's what you don't do with property. Here's who can do this, here's who can't do that. All the rules and institutional stuff and structures and policies and procedures, all that other stuff layered on top of Jesus and his friends. And what we often end up with is an institutional focus or worse, a club or a clique that, that looks more like our wants and needs than the community of, of, of worship and service and generosity and hospitality that Jesus intended. And then, it gets worse, we spend an inordinate amount of our time and energy protecting and perpetuating and arguing over, debating all those policies and requirements and structures and procedures and all that other stuff. That's what General Conference does mostly. It argues about the two-thirds, that side of the Book of Discipline sadly. And Jesus and his friends sort of get lost. All that stuff, all those other layers, they're a distraction, sometimes a stumbling block to the life-altering relationship or encounter with God that we've been offered in Christ. The woman suffering with hemorrhaging and the loneliness and the isolation that was brought on by her illness, and Jairus, the religious leader who had done everything he could to help his little girl be well, they weren't looking for more religion, that two-thirds stuff. They were up to their eyeballs in religion. They longed for healing and wholeness and welcome 
They needed a savior who could rescue them and set them free from the horror stories they were living. They longed for someone who could tell them a better story about their lives, a narrative of hope and joy and life. And what Mark and the other gospel writers would have us see is that when Jesus and his friends are gathered, when Christ is near, that's precisely what happens. The sick are healed. The dead are raised. People move from from fear to faith, and they experience more life and more abundant life. When Christ is near, God's kingdom of shalom, the fullness of life that God intends, that kingdom also draws near comes close to us, to our town, our, our homes, our hearts. There's a kind of movement in these stories today. When Christ and the kingdom draw near, people move from fear to faith. They, they move from despair to hope, from, from sorrow to joy, from death to life. People around Jesus be, become more fully themselves. Some of the weight is lifted. They experience something of the healing and the wholeness, the purpose and the meaning that God longs to give. In in telling these stories, Mark is in in a way saying, this is what life looks like, authentic life. This is God's hope for the world. Here is the beginning of a world remade in God's image, and, and this is what religion ought to be. Not controlling others or or narrowing or limiting life, but expanding it, opening us up to more life than we could ever imagine. That's what the crowds saw and sensed in Jesus. A foretaste of heaven on earth, of God coming close, of the renewal and reconciliation of all things. And that's the good news that the church is called to live and proclaim news that is good to the poor, that is, that is released to captives, that is recovering of sight to the blind, that is freedom for those who are oppressed, that announces God's favor is upon us. And when people saw Jesus and his friends come to town that day, that's what they saw. The gospel, the good news in the flesh. You know, I'm mindful that all around us are our family and, and friends and neighbors, strangers, maybe even some worshiping with us online, some worshiping with us in this room, people who like Jairus and the woman afflicted with, with hemorrhaging, people who long for hope, people who are looking for joy amidst their sorrow, for healing and for meaning and for purpose, people who want to experience the fullness of life, who wonder if there is a a place where there is rest and restoration and welcome. That's what the crowds saw. And I wonder what people see when they look at the church when they look at us? Do they see the same thing? A number of years ago, researchers explored the the growing number of non-religious young adults and that culture, and they discovered some very interesting insights into what many young adults think about the church, their perceptions of church, what they see when they look at the church. 
And interesting what they, they didn't find, that young adults were disinterested in spirituality or questions of meaning and faith, but that they, find, um, they did find some troubling data in their perceptions about the church. And in their findings, discussed at, at length in the book by Kinnaman and Lyons, Unchristian, the authors outline some of this data and the six most common points of skepticism and objections raised by young adults not connected with the church in a significant way. And they say that when they see the church and those who claim to be Christ's friends, they perceive a community that is hypocritical. It seems to be something that it's not that is too focused on getting people in the door, that is racially segregated, that is sheltered and not in touch with their day-to-day lives, that is too partisanly political, and that is judgmental, more concerned with pointing out what's wrong and what we shouldn't be doing than welcoming and loving. That's what they see. Right or wrong, it's the perception. The research shows that Christians are best known for what we are against rather than what we are for. And these young adults, they're not anti-Jesus or anti-church or anti-faith. They're actually interested in it. But they believe that Christianity is no longer as Jesus intended it to be. We've become a religion and not a life-altering relationship. Which brings me back to Mark and the woman afflicted with hemorrhages and Jairus and his daughter. When they saw the church, when they saw Jesus and his friends, they saw the very presence of God. They saw welcome and compassion and healing, and reconciliation, and forgiveness, and liberation, and justice, and life. And Jairus and that woman and many others in the crowd, they said, yes, in a weary world, we want more of that. They didn't encounter another religion, reminding them of what they lacked, or what was wrong with them, or why they weren't welcome. When they saw Jesus and his friends that day, when they saw the church, they were reminded of God's love for them. They were reminded that they mattered, that God cared even for them. The message was clear that God had come to town precisely for people just like them. And so I just wonder, when a person witnesses our life together, What does our life as church communicate? What does our faith look like to the outsiders? Are we remaining close enough to Christ and often enough that he rubs off on us a bit and and we start to look like salt for a a world that's flavorless and, and light for a world struggling to find their way in the darkness? I see that salt and light here at DUMC. I've seen it in you. I've, I've seen it in some of our ministries, your passion, your desire to serve the community. I think we want more of it. The world needs more of it. We need to create more opportunities where that happens among us so that we communicate a, a different kind of message to the world.
less religion, less of the stuff that we layer on top of, of our friendship with Christ, less of the things we debate and argue over that get in the way of that relationship, less of those ways of being church that repel others, drive them away, and more of what Jairus and a sick woman saw that drew them in, that caused them to want to come close, to see for themselves, to be near Christ, to hang around with Christ's friends, sensing that there, there is indeed more life and more abundant life to be had. I mean, that's, after all, why we're here, to be near Christ, to come and sit and rest, to have our thirst quenched and our hunger satisfied, to be set free from whatever is burdening our souls, to be forgiven, to be healed, to be made whole, to be welcome, to be so caught up in life with Christ, that we send a very clear message to those watching. God loves you. God welcomes you. God forgives you. God will heal you and make you whole. There is life here in this place, abundant life, because Christ has come to, to our town, to this place and even to you. Amen.